So welcome guys, welcome to the Fuse Life podcast, episode number 66. And uh, Fuse Life, we're all about God-given assignment, God-given purpose, where heaven meets earth in and through you. And my guest today is a great example of that. I am super excited to be talking with Darren Stott. Darren, I just want to welcome you. So good to have you with us, man. Hey man, what's up, Joseph? I, I've been looking forward to this, man. Oh man, not as much as me because I have been listening oh, no. to your podcast. No, no, <laughs> probably more. Well, I've been uh, looking forward to this, Joseph. I've been. Come on, man. <laughs> well, I don't know if I should take you really seriously or not, but uh, <laughs> I um I was listening to your podcast and I've I was listening to how you listen and how you communicate with your guests and I love it because there are not many podcasts like that, you know. And um, I just want to honor you for taking a platform that many people don't take and then allowing conversation that many people don't want to have. And uh, I just want to honor you for that and appreciate you being here with us, man. Oh, thank, yeah. Thanks so much, man. It, it's been, it's been, yeah, like I've been podcasting for, for years, but it was kind of like just a, just a hobby kind of thing, like, you know, and kind of inconsistent too. And, um, but it was just kind of fun, something just kind of on the side, you know, and I, I'd put whatever, up. you know, I'd put like a, a two minute car conversation up or like, like I'd, like I might be like just playing the piano and record it and put that up, you know what I'm saying? And then I got like a prophetic word from Charlie Champ and Patricia King about like media and more specifically regarding the podcast. And I just knew I, I, I needed to actually begin to like steward it, mm. you know? And uh, I think sometimes it's kind of interesting, maybe Maybe, maybe, like maybe this makes sense to you, but sometimes like we, we get doing so many things and we get so diversified and then nothing's really all that fruitful. And yeah. sometimes I, I wonder if we think that, um, that we should just diversify, do tons of stuff. And then whatever God puts his favor on, that's the thing we should go after. But then God never really puts his favor on anything. And so then we eventually are kind of just doing everything, but doing nothing. And I think it's really being all that, that fruitful. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, for me, it was like, God put his finger on this thing. It wasn't fruitful yet. Like I was doing podcasts for a long time, man. And like, I get like 30, like 30 people listening to like the audio. Right. And then after they gave that word, um, uh, that's when I started taking it really seriously, like an episode a week, you know, um, and then really wanted to go out to this place of not doing interviews, but like, but hosting, um, conversations and just like, and just talking uh, about whatever was interesting to me and then hoping it would be interesting to the guest. And, um, so that's kind of what I've been doing similar to, similar to yourself. I, I mean, you got the same kind of heart and the same kind of gift and the same kind of thing with what you're doing. Um, and I, I, I think it's really cool because dude, I, like we can do stuff. We can have conversations on podcasts where we're not preaching. We're not preaching at people. Like 
when I say preaching, what I mean is like we're telling people what they should believe because it's mm. like truth. Mm. But when we're doing a podcast, we're not like telling people what they should believe. We're just having a conversation and like people can agree or people can disagree, but who cares? Because <laughs> it's, yeah. it's about what we're doing. And then it's like we get to honor people by including people in on a conversation that we might have anyway, right? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Come on. Uh, so, guys, I, would, I mean, Darren's going to introduce himself properly, uh, but he is a lead pastor at Seattle <laughs> Revival Center. Pardon? I, was, I said, I, I apologize. I was like, we're off to the races. <laughs> we're gone and that's great and um because i am i'm not like a big resume reader kind of thing you know at the intro uh, i like people to just share their their story their way you know which i will get you to do very soon but i want to just say some things that i've noticed you know obviously darren has a heart for the miraculous has a heart for the supernatural his podcast is called the supernaturalist you know and even in the intro i love that he's calling out the ones that want to go after this, you know, it's not a sit down and let's just wait for 50 years to see if something happens. There is a moving here, you know, in the kingdom by nature is movement. It's a movement. Mm. And so um, I love that about it. And uh, one of the reasons I'm really excited to have this conversation is because Darren has a vast uh, variety of guests, you know, and just like with fused life, we're fusing everything that is kingdom and uh, people that have been really habituated with compartmentalization, uh, maybe don't understand how you could have uh, these vast variety of guests, you know. And um, so to me, that shows uh, your heart of seeing the whole picture of the kingdom as opposed to grabbing one lane and and not, you know, like discounting everything else. And so I just, man, I honor you and I, I hope you can feel that. <laughs> Absolutely, Joseph. Absolutely. Cool. Well, why don't you just tell some people uh, about, about yourself? There's a whole bunch of people from New Zealand. They're like, who's this Darren guy, you know? What up, New Zealand? Woo, woo. <laughs> yeah. I'm in Seattle. Uh, maybe you heard of Seattle. Uh, home of Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and Chop. Um, <laughs> we, uh, I've been pastoring here for 11 years. Um, my, my grandpa was a pastor at the church where I'm at. My dad was pastor. I swore I would never be a pastor. Uh, ran away from the church. Uh, ran away from Christians. I did not like Christians. I did not like pastors. Uh, had, had, had went through a bunch of bro brokenness and ha had some good reasons not to. Um, and then, uh, and then the Lord restored me. And it's crazy. Like I'm pastoring at the same church where my heart got broken. And uh, so, because of that, we are we have got a huge heart for restoration. And um, and we are called Seattle Revival Center. That's the name of the church. And that's what we're going after. We're going after revival in Seattle um, and our region and our coast and, and, and the nations. And there's um, I, I got to just remember, like, Joseph, you got to keep me on point because I like I'm super ADD, especially when yep. I get a couple cups, cups of coffee. I mean, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, pastor, uh, podcaster uh, 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 that's on YouTube and all the audio, iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. And then. Um, uh, husband, father, I got four kids. Uh, this year we'll be married 14 years. Uh, wow. I'm 38. Uh, I wrote a book four years ago called Pattern Interrupt. Um, that's Pattern Interrupt. Interrupt your dysfunctional patterns and yeah. stuff. And then I, I, I'm, I'm finishing up my second book right now, and it's on uh, carving out a revival realm. And the idea is 
what we can do to prepare for, steward, and sustain a move of God on the earth. So that's what I'm that's that's what I'm wrapping up uh, right now, uh, and and hopefully I'll I'll be able to release that at the very beginning of 2021. Awesome, so, man. Yeah, man. So so many things we can go into here. Uh, I like to give our guests a bit of a backstory of people's journey and how they got to where they got. You know, um, there's been so much of, hey, look at me, I'm doing all this stuff right now, but people can't see, well, how did you even get here? So could we go back a little bit? And uh, it doesn't have to be much in detail or as detailed as you want, but from, say, about zero to 20 years old, like a little bit about your story or was Jesus in there? How was he in there? That kind of thing. Yeah, so like raised in a pastor's home, I remember uh, as a little kid, my dad telling me to come up on the stage and he would like lift me up in front of the pulpit before I could even talk. And I'd be like, ah, 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 and I'd be like, you know, preaching in the microphone. I have really good memories of that. Um, my dad, my mom and dad uh, were really, really good at including me um, in ministry as, as, as a child. And of course, that was... Um, so just uh, satisfying because just, you know, being a kid, you would just want attention and then you become an adult and then you still just want attention. <laughs> yeah. you know? But just being a kid and having your dad like hold you up in front of the church and like you getting to do stuff. That was, that was amazing. And uh, I got memories of me as a little kid, even street preaching, preaching to my neighbors, right? The older I got, the less I did that until finally I, when I came into my teens and then my parents went through a divorce, um, which is they were assembly of God ministers and assembly of God pastors don't get divorced. And I never thought my parents would ever, my parents were perfect. They never once had a fight in front of me. Like, so it was like it. And, and you know, and I think that most Christian kids, I don't think that my story is unique. Actually uh, I used to, but I think that most p kids that grow up in the church have a moment where as they're coming through adolescence, they get exposed. Like it's like the blinders come off of their eyes and they mm -hmm. get to see people's humanity mm -hmm. and, um, and then how we deal with human, the people's humanity when oftentimes we're, we're, when we're children, it's like, we just, we put everybody on pedestals and we idolize everybody and then it's like when you get to when you start coming of age and you you start to see the inconsistencies and it's like how do you process through hypocrisy and um and also uh what's interesting about that is that there's a temptation to become disillusioned by people's hypocrisy while ignoring our own and for my yeah. for myself um, what I did is I allowed other people's um, issues to justify me embracing my own fracturedness. And, um, and then so my fracturedness turned into bitterness. And because there's something that's beautiful about brokenness. But if you don't steward brokenness properly, then it can turn into bitterness. And what I mean by that is that like, for a while, I was going to the Lord with it, right? Um, and I was trying to, pro like, like, like uh, as a kid, I, I never had a desire to turn away from the Lord. I had too many encounters just growing up with God, so I could never turn away from God. Um, but because of because of this um, brokenness, and then because of what I was seeing in people, um, that I, I just got really like, ah, man, Christians are just there's they're so annoying or whatever else. 
Well, also because I'm a young man, I'm starting to come of age and stuff. I've got all these, I've got all this stuff happening inside of me. And then also I'm not really in community. Like I'd grown up in a community, but because of what had happened with, with our church, my mom and I left our church. My dad moved out of the state altogether. And so I didn't have that. I didn't have the accountability that's built into community anymore. So you can see how there's a lot of um, yeah. factors. Like I said, my case isn't isolated. I would imagine that there'd be loads of people uh, that are watching right now or listening that if that would probably maybe have a similar experience and to the degree that they've come out of that experience, like to the degree that they've been healed up or, or not. Um, uh, I think that my story can be really, really encouraging uh, to people. Cause they're like, I, I hear all the time, like, I'm sure you have too, Joseph, like, like, man, there's just so much hypocrisy in the church. There's so much, just like, there's just so much like just stupid stuff that happens. And like, there's just so much like, just like lame, like the cult, like, you know, and, um, man, yeah, like I, I get it. Right. Like I was, yeah, yeah, I was totally there. Um, and, uh, but now, man, I can honestly say that I love that. I love the church and I can honestly say that I love pastors and, and, and that I love pastors kids. I mean, I got four of them. And, um, and so I think this, the, the challenge is, and I think every single human is going to have to walk through this, but yeah. it's, it's the forgiveness test because uh, forgiveness, it's like the crux of the gospel. It brings us back to the cross. It brings us back to the picture of our hanging savior mm. who, uh, who instead of uh, uh, damning the ones who are unjustly shaming and killing him, mm. he seeds for them and he cries out to the father, father, forgive them. They know not um, what they do. So, yeah. I had chosen, like, I don't want to make myself out to be like this, like, like this amazing kind of guy. Like, oh, and then I just, one day I just woke up and I was like, man, I forgive these jerks. Right. Like, <laughs> like that wasn't like, that wasn't my thing at all, man. Like I did not want to forgive. I didn't feel like I had to forgive. Like I was like fooey on forgiveness. Um, except I didn't say fooey. And like, <laughs> and so the Lord set me up. What happened was my pastor. Well, okay. So there was this gal that was in Australia doing like youth ministry, youth revival. She was saved under my grandpa's ministry. God called her back to start pastoring this church where I was a part of Seattle Revival Center. And that was down to like nothing. It was down to like 12, 13 people. And she came back and she set up a meeting with me. I didn't even want to meet with her, but just out of respect, I, I like, I met with her and she was like, Hey, I, I and she just began apologizing, repenting for all this stuff, stuff that she didn't even do. She's just repenting and apologizing. And I was like, um, you know, like, I don't get it. Like, you didn't do any of this stuff. And she was like, yeah, but somebody needs to apologize. Somebody needs, somebody needs to stand. She didn't say stand in the gap, but she was like, somebody needs to tell you that they're sorry. Somebody in leadership. So out of respect for her, I don't think I meant it, but I was like, I forgive you. And it was like, God set me up, man, because like, like, like the power of words, right? Like when we say something, even if we don't mean it, our, our words are so powerful. And so like, I, I just said, it just out of respect, I was like, all right, I forgive you, whatever. And without even realizing it, I had opened my heart back up. Like forgiveness mm -hmm. opens us up and in the same way that bitterness opens us up, right? It just doesn't open us up to the Lord. It opens us up to the dark side. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I was like, I forgive you. And I opened my heart up. And when I did, the Lord came in. And destiny came in. And I remember I, was, I still hadn't gone back to church yet. I was on a hunting trip 
And I had this dream that I was back at the church and I was leading worship and I was singing this song that I'd never sung before. And when I woke up from the dream, I was still singing this song and it wasn't the song. It was like the anointing. It was like the, that feeling. It was like, just took me back into all these incredible like glory encounters that like, I was like, Oh my gosh. Right. Like it was like that place of hope deferred wasn't there. It was just hope. And I woke up into that. And then the second I stopped singing the song, it was gone. I couldn't remember what I was singing and the Lord used that dream. So forgiveness brought about that opportunity for the Lord to come and to give me this dream. And then the Lord used the dream to put desire in my heart for the very first time. I wanted to return back to the church that I said I would never go back to. And I, and I, and I'm very clear on that. I will never go back to that church. Gail will never be my pastor. Um, and, and now I'm there and I'm pastoring. So that's not a nutshell version, but there's a few, there's a few places in there where I felt like we should go and explore yeah. a little bit. And no, so- no problem. We just keep flowing. It's awesome. So uh, was there a specific point in terms of um, be- like becoming a leader, like actually pastoring the church where God did something? Did you have an encounter anything like that? What made you be like, yeah, I'm going to take up this responsibility, you know? Yeah, because I was doing business, like I was in sales, and um, and life was going pretty pretty good, and um, and I was I was somewhat content, but I was also um, I'm back at church, right? And the Lord's restoring me, and believe it or not, I still hadn't really fully surrendered, if that makes sense. So it was like Jesus was my Savior, but He wasn't really my Lord yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that'll resonate with people, but um, so because I was still doing my thing even though I'm, I'm, I'm starting to come back and starting to re-engage and stuff. So then I went on a ministry trip to, to Indo with my dad. And, um, and we're talking in the early 2000s when Indonesia was in full-on revival. And we're also talking about a time when the Christian church there was under very intense Muslim persecution. So you've got a, a strong, Islam, radical Islamic persecution on the church, and then you've got revival, and churches are just exploding and so we were there in Indo and I was like, I was just completely blown away by these churches and these leaders because it's so different than America, man. Like the, the church scene in America versus that revival glory church scene in Indo. I was like, I was so blown away. Wow. And these pastors were looking at me and they were like, so Darren, where are you pastoring? And I'm like, I'm not a pastor. And they'd be like, <laughs> okay, so uh, where are you pastoring? <laughs> And I'd be like, no, no, I'm not a pastor. And they laugh and they'd be like, yep, you're a pastor. And uh, that happened like over and over and over again. And um, and by this point in time, I think I kind of knew, but I was just like, whatever. Nope, 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 not doing it. And then the the this is pretty cool. So the final church that we went to in Indo, there's like this crazy, awesome Papa general guy, right? And we go to his church. We did just his home groups, right? And there was over 500 leaders there. That was just his home group leaders, right? Wow. And um, after the meeting, we went out to Pizza Hut in in, in Jakarta with uh, my dad and I and his whole family, his kids. And like his kids just respected him so much. I'm like, this is amazing. Here you have a pastor and his pastor's kids like adore him. In his office, he had pictures of him with like uh, the Bush family. Um, you know, like George, uh, George Bush senior, he had a picture yeah. of Nelson Mandela. Like, uh, he was a radical in that, like he was a, a Christian and he would run for political offices and in, wow. which can get you killed. Right. Yeah. And so, um, 
I was like, man, this guy is just amazing. So we're at Pizza Hut and like he and he asked if he could pray for me when we're done with our meal. He's directly across from the, the table from me. I was like, yeah, sure. He stands up and he puts his hands on my head and he just starts speaking in tongues. And uh, and then he starts to prophesy about who my grandpa was, his destiny, my dad, his destiny, me, and my inheritance. And um, and and then he starts addressing all of my fears. I had a lot of fears regarding family, uh, uh, about marriage. I wasn't dating anyone, not, 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 you know, not, not, nothing like that. And, and then, um, uh, so I'm like weeping, I'm just weeping. And then he's like, uh, next time you come back to Indonesia, you're going to come without your dad. And when you come, you can call me Papa. And, and so I, I, I fly home, I'm weeping on the airplane. I'm like, okay, I say yes to you, Lord. I get home, I meet with my pastor. This is crazy, but I've been called to be a pastor. And she goes, yep, I know. The elders know. We've been waiting for you to hear from God. Uh, I got got on my gag order because if I said anything to you, I know that you'd pull a Jonah. You just like take off running. So we've been waiting for you to hear from God. And and then uh, that began a five-year mentoring thing, Bible school, the whole thing. I was still working, um, working in sales and doing the church thing and then in 2000 uh, uh and then all of a sudden like once i said yes to the lord in that ministry capacity that's like when he became my lord my lord like that's when i was like i surrender i submit everything and that's when for me the lord started ordering my steps because up to that point i was still ordering my own steps once i said yes to his lordship you know we know that the scripture that uh that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the lord once I, I submitted this to him, um, he began ordering my my steps. And literally, like my wife, who has never interested me in the past, before that point, all of a sudden was interested in me. It was a heck of a courtship. I had to seriously pursue her. But she married me. Hallelujah. Uh, she was amazing. <laughs> and, um, and then I just want to skip a beat and then go to 2016. My dad uh, passes away. Uh, he's on a trip from Jakarta to the Ukraine. Uh, he has a heart attack on the airplane. Uh, I hadn't been back to Indo since I was called into ministry. Um, I get my entire family and we go to Indonesia to get his stuff. It was like a second home for him. And we go there and we meet up with the pastor that had prophesied over me. And and like, like the prophetic word that he had given me, right? Completely fulfilled about pastoring, about my family, like everything that he had prophesied, like fulfilled all the way down to the detail of returning back to Indonesia without my dad, uh, meeting with him. And I was like, so we met in a restaurant, right? Like I just, I bring my family, we meet him in a restaurant. J- just like the very like first time he blessed yeah. me. Uh, uh, he puts his hands on my head. He, he uh, prays for our family. I'm there with four kids now, my wife. And that was so absolutely amazing. That is wow. the, that's the faithfulness of God, that, that all of his promises are yes, and amen. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the part B as far as coming into ministry and pastoring. And like I said, uh, 11 years as of Easter and we're having a lot of fun. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this, this man in Indonesia sounds like he's a real father, even the fact that uh, he would want to connect with you like that. How important do you think it is to have uh, men and women like this, like this, who would lay their hands on and actually speak something that could change the course of your life, you know? Uh, how important do you think that is? And do you think that's common? Does it need to become more common? It's 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 not common, man. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but the whole fathering thing, 
in the in I'd say in the US is is a very kind of a foreign concept or it's forced and it's weird. I've had a lot of guys try to father me and um and I really want them <laughs> to father me. I was like, you know, yeah, you're you and I'm me. We got different values and yeah, it mm. just felt really forced and and strange. And um but for this for Pastor Ginting and um there in uh uh I think it's actually in summering he um was he is a father so because he's a, a spiritual father he doesn't force he doesn't he doesn't have to force yeah. it it's who he is so it's what he does and he doesn't really care if you embrace it or reject it. and it's he really opened up and his son really opened up because the westernism of america is is hitting indonesia hard so a lot of the eastern values for family and loyalty are disappearing out of their culture and it's really hard on him because like the people in his church are his children mm -hmm. and like you know he led them to the lord he's discipled them and he's brought them into leadership you know and i mean and that's rare in america that's super rare in america you know um in a culture where you know, just somebody getting saved is kind of rare in America, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. You know, let alone being discipled and brought up in through sonship and into leadership. Mm. And so I found that really, I found that really, really interesting it, um, that the, that this Westernism is coming into the East. And now you've got these, these churches that, um, that look just like America that are very, that are very professional, but, um, there's really not a there's not a lot of glory on it, mm. and um, it's very kind of per performance um, centric. And then what he was saying is that it's almost like the the church with the best performance um, is is so you've got these the new the, what's happening now is you've got these people that he's mentoring and loving and getting saved, but then they leave his church to go to another church. Uh, yeah. it's more because it's more American. Mm. It's more it's it's more hip, and that for him is heartbreaking because it's not he doesn't care about somebody else's church getting larger. He cares about this this relationship that he had that's no longer there because because these people have this thought that if I go to this church, then we don't need to be connected any yeah yeah anymore. And so you could say in America, we're more kingdom. So like, like I'm very comfortable with people leaving my church to go to another church just down the street mm -hmm. and we will bless you. We will send you and we will release you like really mm -hmm. like, and we, and like, so we're very kingdom uh, at Sierra Bible center. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't, we don't feel a strong sense of like ownership yeah. to have to like control our people. And yet what we don't have in America is what they have in the East, which is a fierce commitment to the people that you're not just a congregant you're a son you're a daughter yeah and and i'm i'm trying to figure some of this out uh i want Man, yeah i just wanted to say something just in terms of that um i have a friend from texas and he says uh something that i love he says the kingdom is familial in nature governmental in structure and i always see it it's familial in nature yeah. and governmental in structure, you know? And I think 
there are places that have the governmental structure, but they're not sitting on the family nature and they cause so much pain, you know, and then there are some places that have the family nature, but they don't have the governmental structure. So they have no authority in their region. And I thought he summed it up really well, you know? Yeah, man, because it's, um, on one hand, it's easier to be uh, governmental because then my heart doesn't really have to be connected yeah. with your heart. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll set up, it'll be structure based and outcome based so that we can define the win by an excellent outcome. Mm. And, but if, if something doesn't work out between you and me and you got to go great. Cause I've guarded my heart. I, I didn't really mm. have to, I didn't really have to really love you and really know you. And, um, the unfortunate part about that is that if you, if, if that is the case, you're going to know that you're doing life with me, but that I don't really love you. Yeah. Um, that I'm not really connected with you. So you're going to feel, you're always going to feel more of like a kingdom employee. than you're going to feel like, um, like, like a true brother, man. And so like, um, yeah, I, I'm being healed up a lot, man, just because of my own kind of trust issues and my own kind of, um, self-preservation, like, like here's how I'm going to survive pastoral ministry. Mm. Um, seeing the, the, seeing how my parents were just continually like thrashed by people. Right. So like, I think I went into this thing saying like, I am not going to be thrashed by people. I'm going to, I'm really going to protect myself. But then the problem is I got a young man in the church and, um, uh, and he called and he, and he called me Papa the other day. Um, by by accident and then i was like this this young guy he's from another he's from another culture right mm. like this young guy's looking at me like his spiritual father and i don't know if i want to be that to him i want to be more like a more like a brother i don't know if i've got that bandwidth i don't know if i i don't you know and it kind of mm. and so um yeah man so the lord's the lord's having to teach me i'll tell you about a quick encounter really quick and then you know we can do whatever you want to do but I had this encounter last year where I was taken back to an incident, like with our family, we were driving in the car and there was like some drama in the car and, and my mom was kind of dealing with the drama and my dad was driving mm. and, and I was, I was the little kid and I was kind of provoking the drama between my sister and I. And so the Lord took me into this scene and I'm like, why am I, why am I here? What's going on with this? And, um, and the Lord was like, what, what was your dad doing? And I was like, he was just driving. He really wasn't using his leadership as a father to bring some shalom to the car. My mom was mm -hmm. having to do that. And then all, and then, you know, and then all of a sudden it was, uh, I looked and I was the one driving and now I was, I was the dad in the car. And it was like, and like the Lord was showing me like, you are, you are a father now. Mm. And, um, Yeah. And yeah. It, it's not about just your responsibility to keep the car on the road. It's not about just your responsibility to um, keep the church on the road. Um, it's your responsibility that your heart would be engaging the people that are in the car and that you would use your leadership and your, who you are as a father to bring peace. And so um, that was pretty incredible because I think the Lord used that, um, for me to, for me to be like, yeah, in one hand, I need to kind of grow up 
um and just to be willing to be open to this idea of being a father not just a brother yeah yeah man come on i'm so excited for you because i see you fathering a generation and that was really interesting um, i went through a crazy journey probably four years ago and after it all this chaos i wanted to run away and had some encounters that kind of kept me and i end up in california and um i got a chance to have breakfast with an amazing man and uh, he said this thing he said we are going to see a generation of of men who are going to who've never had fathers but are going to be fathers you know and i feel like there was this this gap maybe i would say between the 35 and 60 year olds that didn't know how to respond to the younger generation Mm. But now I believe there are people such as yourself and we're going to step into a place where we will know how to father while being fathered in the tri-dimensional relationships. You know, like when I see Bobby Connor and I see some of how he talks and I really love that, that he grabbed uh, Jeremy Nelson and is just like, hey, God says you're going to be one of my sons. And so he's willing to do what that means, you know. And so I see that on you, man. I'm so, uh, I feel like there'll be a shift and even in your ministry now and what's about to happen because of relationship. I'm so excited for you. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Joseph. So in 2016, you won an award. Can you tell us about that? What's up with this award and why Why did you get it? Uh, yeah, so um, and that's a big thing too. I'll just kind of stay focused and then we can go deeper wherever you want to go deeper. But sure. uh, when I, when I, when I, um, I went through a season, I guess you could say, where I was very, uh, a very long season where I was very, very involved in, um, in our city here and also in our, in our neighboring, uh, city. And, um, and so I was able to, um, uh, I was actually being sought out, uh, locally here in, in my city to, to get advice on, on different, on different things. And, uh, and even invited at one point to join, um, a commission. Um, in, in my local city here that I live in and was also on the board of a, uh, of a, of a, of a team for in a neighboring city and then became the, uh, the chairman of the board in a, in a neighboring city. So I was very, uh, involved in that, in that time. And, um, yeah, and then, yeah, in 2016, um, the chamber of commerce for the city of Newcastle, uh, did, uh, did an event. Um, and I was given the, uh, I, the, the Dennis Jarnell, uh, um, a, a man of influence or whatever, what, what, influential influencer person in the city, uh, for that, for that year. Um, and so that was, that was cool. It was cool to be wow. recognized by the chamber, by the business community, the business community. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, 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 that was a real honor. Like what were you doing? Um, when you say you get on the board and stuff like, what are they coming to you for? Was this uh, like a Christian role in that sense, or was it just? No, and so um, actually, so for years I tried to to penetrate our local government here within Newcastle, but I couldn't. It was it was just really strange, and um, and didn't really want a pastor involved. And then I was uh, sought out by a board in a neighboring city uh, because of our involvement. We were a sponsor of of, of a large event uh, within the the, the city. And so because of our role as sponsoring, um, uh, and they saw that I was a young guy at the, at the time and they didn't have any young people on their board. And so um, they asked if I would just come in and, and just attend their meetings, their board meetings uh, uh, for this large event. Um, and you're talking like, you know, up to 100,000 people going through a park over three days, a um, thousand volunteers, like pr pretty amazing. Wow. All volunteer run, um, you know, 
all paid for by private sponsorships. So you're talking about a year's worth of planning to pull off one event. And so that was, that was amazing. Cause I'd never been a part of anything of that scope before. And, but they were apprehensive. Um, I think I, I never heard this from them, but I think that kind of a cool thing that great chemistry on their board. And um, because I was the only person that they ever made attend meetings for three months before they made an official board member. So like, I don't know for sure these guys are awesome, but I think they're like, this guy's a pastor. Like, yeah, is he weird? Um, is he going to ruin our chemistry? What's he going to bring? Um, and so, yeah, I attended meetings for three months and then they were like, all right, if, if we like you. If you like us, you can join. Uh, and like I said, I was with, I was on that thing for, I think eight years. And, um, and so because of that relationship, um, uh, my local city, uh, they would start to see me in, in Renton and then they were, and then they were struggling with their own city event, really, really struggling. And so mm -hmm. they, they sought me out to start getting advice and guidance on, on our local kind of city event, which almost had to shut down. And so that's, that's where I was con continually kind of like trying to knock on a door that wouldn't really open. And now they were knocking on my door. Um, and so that's how that, that's how that relationship um, took place. And man, I was, it, it was so amazing because that first, that first time at the boardroom table it, at city hall, the top of the, the building, incredible views. I'd never been in that kind of environment before. Um, uh, I'd never been at that kind of table with all these city leaders. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I felt so awkward. And so I remember like, like, like you know, Solomon says that a, a wise man is quiet. Right. So I was like, and a fool is always talking. So I was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to look like I'm wise and I'm not going to talk. <laughs> and Lord, you tell me what to say. So like, Maybe that's why they made me hang out for three months. Cause I would just like, I would hardly say anything. I was just sitting there watching, learning, listening. Um, and I felt so awkward. I felt so weird, but I can tell you, man, like <laughs> before I resigned, like, so being the chairman of the board there for, for two years, I had to do some really difficult things, including confronting city council, um, including having some fierce conversations with the mayor. And, wow. uh, and his, and his right hand. And, um, and I can tell you this, there was no awkwardness. There was no fear. There was a ton of boldness because of just the opportunity to be in that atmosphere. And so, um, I'm always looking for that next thing where it feels awkward, where I feel clunky, where I feel like this is beyond me. Um, and because that's where you just get conditioned. Like, so because of that whole thing, man, like I have a real grace, where I can pretty much interface pretty much anyone in our, in our city mm. uh, or, or I, like, and there's not that intimidation factor and, and all that. Yeah. So the Lord really, the Lord really used that um, uh, just to, to grow me, you know? Wow. Amazing. Um, I mean, there's so many subjects we can go into here. So if there's any particular one, you, you go for it. Um, so there seems to be like this pattern interrupt. I mean, I guess that's why you write this book, right? Like you're, you're happy to interrupt. And so what are your thoughts on that? And uh, do you think that the kingdom uh, consists of a lot of interruptions when it comes to manifesting in this world? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I'll tell you about the book. Um, so I believe that you only have like, so that, you know, that your, your authority is determined by your own testimony. Right. And so, um, uh, so when you, if you don't know where your authority is, look at your own testimony, look at the victories within your life and you're going to find, 
you're going to find your your authority keys. You're going to find this. So uh, people that are always looking for a future revelation and thinking that future revelation is going to become a platform for their ministry, they're always going to be looking and they're never going to get started with ministry. You can't look to the future to start your ministry. You have to look to your past. You have to look at where your victories are at. The problem is for many believers is that they don't honor their victories. They think that that a testimony has an expiration date. They think that if people have heard this a thousand times, that it doesn't have power anymore. But we know that we overcome the enemy with the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so mm-hmm. like, I get annoyed when people are like, yeah, he shared that testimony again, but that was from 1987. Like, no, 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 no. Like that, that testimony, it, it, that was an act of God. So therefore it still has juice on it. Like that's mm-hmm. like, that's like, and I, I'm getting a little fired up for no apparent reason, but that's like the cross. Like, like Jesus died on a cross. That, and before people are like, yeah, but that already happened. Like that's a mm-hmm. past event. Like, can we move on? No, we can't move on because if God does something, it's not a past event. It's got mm-hmm. juice on it in the past, the present and the future. So your mm-hmm. testimony, like the testimony of Jesus, everything that Jesus did still has juice on it. Like, and that means that whatever God has done in your life in the past, that, that, that we've got to remember that we can't forsake that we've got to steward that there's still life on it. And here's the other thing. I know that there's like, like 10 million Darren's that they were at, like they are right now where I once was. Mm. Therefore my victory story, like that's where I have authority that I can help out 10 million other disgruntled pastors, kids that are done with the church that are done with, with Christians that are done with the whole thing. Yet there's a call of God on their life and there's inheritance on their life. And you know what I'm saying? So the reason yeah. why I'm preaching right now is because, um, <laughs> is because I wanted to write a book pattern interrupt. I wanted to write a book um, in areas where I had, or where I have authority. And so therefore it's going to have to be my own story. And so, um, uh, so I like my whole thing is I wanted to deal with um, uh, uh, fear, shame, and control. And so, those are the three things that I go after in in my book. And it's all it's like my testimony. When you're reading the book, you're hearing all these breakthroughs and stuff within my own within my own life. And yet, I know t- testimony books are usually pretty boring because you know it's like, well, that's great that God did that for you, but all right, so what's in this for me? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so that's where um, that's where it's kind of a testimony book, and yet, yet, like I'll break out and be like, okay, let's talk about pornography and lust. Like mm-hmm. it'll break out. How do you interrupt that pattern? All right, now let's go back to my story. Okay, enough about that. Let's go back to my story. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. All right, whoa, whoa, whoa. let's talk about a pattern interrupt for stress. The mm-hmm. kind of stress that's going to defeat you. The like. Yeah. Okay. Now, now, enough about that. Let's get back to my story. Let's talk about mm-hmm. me. You know, and I'll be going. And then also, I love story. I love to tell stories. So I'm telling just crazy, crazy stories in order to set things up in such a way where people got have like uh, a, an imaginative realm where they can now cut through something in their own life. So that's mm-hmm. totally pattern interrupt. It's the most ADD book that you've ever read. It's all over the map. Um, I, I when I you know I I. I wanted to write a book for dudes that don't like to read. I wanted to write a book where you could open it right in the very middle of the book and just read a couple of paragraphs, have a good laugh and maybe get like a, like a breakthrough. Mm. Uh, and so, um, 
Yeah, and it was my first book, and um, so that's pattern pattern interrupt. It's this place of like of 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 being able to identify these things that are most likely fear based, right? Most of our issues are are either fear based or shame based, and then because of these things, we insert our own control, and at that point, we set autopilot up within our life because we think that predictability means safety, and so we. If I know exactly what's going to happen on Monday, if I know exactly what's going to happen on Tuesday, subconsciously, that's safety. And yet, the way that God created us, there's a part of our soul that's hungry for spontaneity. And that's when we get ourselves into trouble because all of a sudden we begin violating our own values um, because we're looking for more. We're looking Mm -hmm. for that thing that God has called us to to drop everything and to follow him. That's pretty spontaneous. Quit your job, quit your life, quit your dreams and follow me. Like that's pretty, that's pretty bold. Like there's a part of us that God has created us just to like, just to follow him. And, um, and yet for a lot of us, we set up these survival mechanisms. Mm. And, um, and so that think that we have all this predictability and then our souls are longing for spontaneity. And Mm. so, we develop a, 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 a lifestyle where we think we're in control and yet we're not. And these other mm. people begin controlling us. And it's the same story if you're in the church or out of the church. I mean, uh, I'm a pastor and, and I, have, I have crazy, crazy conversations and they never surprise me. Like we are, we are humans, you know, yeah. and there's this fracturedness that continually tries to, tries to pop up. And so that's pattern interrupt. It's this, it's this place of like, all right. Um, uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Um, he who the sun sets free is free indeed, unquestionably free. Um, your storyline, y- you are already restored. The end of your storyline is the rest is the restoration of all things, right? Yeah. And so, like, so that builds a lot of faith. And so, like, let's just let's just do it. Let's interrupt these dysfunctional patterns. Let's get off of cruise control and let's start going after the things of God, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, come on. Um, I'm just trying to see what, uh, because there's so many things that we could go to and maybe we do another episode, Darren, if you're free, that would be amazing. Yeah, we can do lots of stuff, man. Yeah, we can, yeah. That'd be we can cool. Um, virtual Zoom walks through a park, you know. <laughs> Come on. I want to I talk about uh, your city. I want to talk about, because um, you seem to have a heart for the region and an understanding of uh, regional impact, I guess, the kingdom impact. And yeah. then you were with uh, Charlie at the chop, like many New Zealanders probably don't even know what that is. And I think it was Chaz first and then chop. Uh, can you break that down a little bit? And then why did you go in there and what happened there? Just quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, after the, the, the George Floyd incident, which was a, um, uh, a black man that was um, essentially you know, murdered by the police. Now there's that's, that's controversial that, that that's even a controversial statement, but that is the dominant narrative within our country is that you have a black man that for that, that really that was treated um, un, unjustly pressured to his neck. Um, and it was like in a year where injustice has been uh, fairly common towards people of color in this year. And then you've got COVID-19. So we're all isolated. We're all in quarantine. We're all at home. We're all frustrated. And then on top of that, you do this. And it's like, man, our country just popped 
with with rage like an, enough already and you've got organizations that have been waiting for this you've got organizations mm-hmm. in our country that have been waiting for chaos so they can exploit the chaos um you've got like this perfect storm you've got covid you've got these acts of injustice and then you've got um george floyd and at that moment we began to see like protests and uh yeah organized protests in and peaceful protests for the most part all across the country you got people that are saying like enough enough already um but then that begins to kind of emerge transform a little bit into this defund the police movement so we went from like uh, saying like, like we like like somebody's got to do something about unjust police policing. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's got to do something there. It's not that all police are bad, but there is a segment of police, and who's going to hold them accountable? And how does this get corrected? So you go from that, which I absolutely, I'm all about that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all we all should be as believers. Like you got a few bad apples, let's deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. Let's deal with that. Because, all right, but it went from that to all police are bad apples. The idea of policing originates from racism and that any sort of enforcing the law is uh, is rooted somehow, is tethered somehow to, to systemic racism. Therefore, the way we fix this whole thing is to abolish the whole thing, is to mm-hmm. essentially destroy the whole thing. I saw... I saw a symbol somebody put on Instagram. It was an anarchy symbol that then turned around into a peace symbol. And that is a classic Marxist like propaganda for an uprising, for the, the demolition, destruction. Let's tear this thing down and then rebuild what we want to do. So that these peaceful protests started getting violent and they started going, we saw our cities getting destroyed, Seattle getting just messed up, Bellevue getting messed up, other cities that, that people that pro these, um, these are no longer peaceful protesters. These are now, these are organized groups, many of which are being paid even by the local mafia uh, uh, to, to, to loot and to steal purses, high end things uh, for exploiting all of these factors, exploiting injustice, exploiting um, uh, COVID-19, all of these factors to create a perfect storm. All right. Now you've got a protest that's been declared to come into Capitol Hill and you've got our mayor in Seattle looking at what her choices are. And she develops this this um, thesis that if there's no uh, if there's no resistance, there can be no war. So in an effort to extend an olive branch to this group that's coming in to bring anarchy and just to, to destroy everything to, to extend an olive branch to them. Um, she orders the police to leave the, the police station there on Capitol Hill. And mm. so the, so the police completely abandon the police station. The door to the police station is left open for them. And you've got this group that comes in and there's no police officers anywhere in that whole area. So guess what? Now they see themselves as the new law. In fact, mm-hmm. they see themselves as their own country and they begin setting up barriers and blockades. They begin building walls and they begin putting up large signs that say, now leaving the United States of America, you are now entering CHAS, which stands for the capital Hill Autonomous Zone. This is the 
This is yeah. the area without law. This is where we do whatever we want. And so um, the mayor, when interviewed um, by the press, uh, was laughing about this. She thought it was great. And she says, I think that in Seattle, we're going to have a summer of love. And what happened was, is that there was um, local businesses being broken into um, uh, and, and then taken over mm. by, by, by protesters, people's homes being broken into. And so it's that context that Charlie Champ calls me up and is like, hey, let's go into Chaz. Well, um, the Lord actually uh, spoke to me and he, 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 he started speaking to me about this word, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and crazy, creepy things and cosmic places. And um, uh, and I look at, I'm thinking, the word wrestle caught my attention. And I, so I was like, man, when Paul's talking about wrestle, like, I think of like WWE or like, you know, MMA or something like, what, what would that have meant to the first century church? So I, I looked up that word wrestle and, and it talks about two opposing, like two opponents Mm. That you know that go after each other, and um, that win a this sport by applying pressure to the other's neck. Yeah, and you you um you see pictures of that where you're head to head, and they got their hand behind on the neck, gripping for control. Yeah, and that's how this whole thing started was applying pressure, um, uh, fatal pressure to the back of George Floyd's neck, and the Lord said, "There's an attack." Wow. Against there's an attack against the head, but it's coming against the neck. And um, the Lord spoke to me and said um, that there's that the enemy is going to try to remove the head from the body. Talking about the church to remove Christ from the church, to remove Christ from Jesus, to remove the anointing from Jesus. And, uh, and I didn't even realize it, but Capitol Hill. So Capitol Hill autonomous zone capital means head, right? Wow. And so they're going to try to chop off the head from the body. The, the weekend that the Lord gave me that word, I brought that word to Seattle Revival Center. That weekend, there at Chaz, they said, um, they said, this thing's turning too much into a party. Mm. And this is not supposed to be a party. It's supposed to be an organized protest. So they changed the name to Capitol Hill Organized Protest or CHOP. It changed as the chop. So you've got chop on head hill or Capitol Hill. Capital means head. And I I just thought that was fascinating. So anyway, Charlie said, hey, I want to come. I want to bring a team. I said, great. Charlie lands with the team on a Sunday night. And so we just decided to go and check it out on Sunday night. And we went into chop. Um, about 1030 at night without any idea of what we were getting ourselves into. Uh, we had one guy go with us from our church, David Kusick, who had actually been doing a lot of ministry there. So because David was with us, we we really weren't um, afraid. And but we, some people interpret that as um, bravery. Like a pastor just said to me, you guys were so brave. Well, we had David with us and he had been doing ministry. So we, we really weren't brave we were kind of naive i guess charlie's mm-hmm. just a faith guy like like you could take Char- like charlie's just faith right but i think for myself i was just kind of naive so we go up dude you've got like seven seven white guys walking up this this hill and we look we look like cops man we look like undercover cops and we're rolling up and the chop 
and they've got cameras on us and they send this girl out to us and and she she runs up she's like are you guys cops she's kind of like you know we're like no no we're not cops she's like well then what are you doing here and we're like we're just we're just here these guys are all from out of town and we're just checking out the scene checking out what's going on and she goes um things are crazy around here she says the cops are going to be coming in She's like, I don't care. I, I'm willing to fight for this. I'm willing to die for this. She said, um, we got women that are being abducted every night and, and raped. Uh, we got people that are get, being stabbed out here. So if you guys see anything, please report it you know, to the tent over here. And that's the thing. Like I, I had this, I said that on my own Facebook, like people are getting, women are getting raped. People are getting mugged. People are getting stabbed. We heard that firsthand from people there in Chuck. And this, 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 this dude, this punk called me out on Facebook. He's like, what are you talking about? People aren't getting raped. People aren't getting it. Like, you know, and he's not even part of that scene. You know, he's some, he's, 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 he's some, anyways, <laughs> he, he, he's, yeah, a church, yeah. he's a church kid that, that yeah. thinks he knows what's up. And he's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Listen, we were there for four nights. We had so many conversations with people that were actually living there. And she told us women are getting raped. We heard that multiple times. We met one guy. He's a Christian. The Lord called him there just to protect people. Wow. So if he saw things getting out of hand, he would go up and he would just start talking people out of it. Like out of, and he had saved, he told us that he had saved multiple women from being raped. Wow. So like, so this is the whole backs. This is the side of Chop and Chaz at the media media didn't know anything they weren't even allowed into chop like if you had big cameras they would make a crowd around you and they would force you out so that very first night man um i see this young guy this this young um uh black kid sitting on this uh, thing and my heart just kind of went out for him i knew i was supposed to talk to him so i just went up and i was like hey man um what's up and he's like you guys cops right like, no we're not cops and he's like so i was like so what are you what are you doing here what's this all about and then he begins to open up. He begins to talk and talk and talk. And the Lord starts to tell me about this guy. So then finally I interrupted him. I'm like, hey, dude, um, I don't know if this makes sense, but I just begin to talk to him and uh, begin to kind of read his mail. The Lord just starts to tell me all about him. And he's like, bro, how, how do you know all that? Yeah, he starts tripping out. He's like, how do you know this all, all, all about me? And I just continue because I don't want to be like, we're Christians or we're pastors. Yeah, yeah. And he discerns what's going on. He puts out his hands like this. He says, pray for me. And so um, I was like, come on, guys. So I prayed first and all the rest of the guys started praying. We all started getting words for the guy. Well, man, we found out the next day that that was the head of CHOP. He's this young guy that they put in charge. In fact, if you if, if listeners go and look at just pictures of the media of, you know, the CHOP bust, if you look at like um, just look at CHOP or Chaz. You're going to see pictures of this young guy. His name is um, Rio with these dreadlocks. At, sometimes you'll see him with a bulletproof vest on. Sometimes you'll see him on top of people's cars, beating people's cars. That was the that was the the head of Chop in the last in the last week of it. And the very first night, the very first guy we ministered to, um, that was the head. Again, going back to head, the headship. Mm. And what happened was, is because we had his blessing, when things would get crazy or people would uh, start accusing us of stuff, we would name drop him. And at one time he actually showed up and, uh, and spoke up for Charlie. Cause these guys were like, these guys are starting to intimidate. These guys are starting to about to kick Charlie and Alex out of the park. 
and Rio shows up. He's like, I know these guys. These are Jesus people. They're totally cool. Wow. So that's just one. We could go on. That that's that's an episode. I mean, I got something on my podcast where you can listen to all of our testimonies from that. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I, l- I listened to that one. Pretty crazy. Um, pretty crazy. So obviously, revival is something that's big on your heart, and I guess you're going even into places like that with revival. Can you share with us some of your early stories of maybe some of your missions, some of your trips to Indonesia, but where you started to see revival and maybe a story that, you know, an encounter that marked you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my earliest, like, um, exposure to revival was my, my dad was burnout. This is 94. He was going to quit the ministry. He goes to Toronto. He has an encounter and the encounter um, leaves him drunk in the drunk in the spirit to the point where he can't function, where he can't talk. And from that point on, he went into a lifestyle of drunkenness in the spirit. Um, and that was a trip for me because my dad was a very dignified, proper assembly of God minister, British, but you know, like my dad was English. And um, so now seeing my dad, flipping out of the, out of a chair, laughing hysterically and not being able to preach. Um, like, like that was like, my dad would usually his ministry would compose of him just like, just drunk out of his mind. And then he'd shift and go into like hardcore prophesying, like just prophesying. And then he'd come out of it and the whole room would just, so that was how I was raised. Um, my dad was a mystic. He never would have called himself that that wasn't a mm-hmm. term that was being used, but um, oftentimes he would be driving and he'd have to pull over because the lightnings of God would be out on the, on the freeway, on the road. He'd be actually watching the lightnings and then he wouldn't be able to function. He wouldn't be able to talk or even drive. So he'd have to pull over. Um, there were times that he would have to have people pick him up because he could no longer drive. He was no longer safe to drive. He actually wrote a book called drinking and driving. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so I was kind of raised, I was raised in that whole kind of, uh, glory kind of realm. Like that was the glory of God and his, his, his engagement with the, with the angelic. Um, and so that's, that's what I, that's what I've loved. I've always had a desire for the mystic realm, um, even for mystics, uh, such, and that's where you see that on my podcast. That's where you see that diversity is because you'll see more traditional Pentecostal type ministers, but then you'll also see these other ministers that are just, that are just, you know, it, where it's almost more about what's happening at home in their secret place than it is even what's happening in the meetings, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, and so for me, the way I define revival is I define revival as, as, as when we, when we step through the wardrobe into Narnia, I, I believe that the, that revival isn't the end. It's just the portal. It's the place of crossing over. Um, and, um, and I believe that the portal is always open. Mm-hmm. I believe that, that the veil of separation has been removed. Right. And that we are, we are in union with him. And so, um, uh, so that's how I define revival. And when I, when I see a revival dynamic in a church it's because the whole church steps through the wardrobe. Yeah. We come into another realm. We, we experience it together and you might see some people weeping hysterically. Uh, you might see other people laughing. You might see some people going through deliverance. 
that there's no um in these environments they're usually they look very chaotic because the whole room just shifted into it just shifted into a new place and now everybody is responding to this to the awareness of 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 heaven and 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 the glory and so that's that's my own definition of revival because um it's a it's a tricky word in the 90s it would it would get you it wasn't hip it was it would get you protesters at your church uh, most people thought my dad was was demon possessed but now revival's pretty hip like there's almost this thing of like revival culture which is yeah. more like a worship scene which is glorious which is awesome but now it's like if you say you're a revival church people are pretty down with it even in the even in churches where that they're not big on holy spirit or speaking in tongues and stuff mm. so like, revival's pretty happening and yet um i i define it this way because for me it's 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 the picture of of historically when you see like the welsh revival you see an entire country that goes through the wardrobe and yeah. you, see, you see an entire country impacted in three years where you almost have the Christianization of a nation. People would describe cr- crossing over into Wales and filling the manifest presence of the Lord, like, like, a, like an electric current coming out of the soil. Why? Cause, yeah. like, cause the country's passed, it has crossed over. So um, that's how I define it. And, um, uh, and I love to see people that have never crossed over, cross over. And, yeah. and bro, also, we need to see people that went to Narnia 10 years ago or five years ago, but haven't been back. And there's a lot of hope deferred there. And they think like, mm. I've done that. I'm done with that. We need to get them back to the, to, to the Narnia. You know what I'm saying? We're like, we've got to get back. There's some people that have moved on and they're like, I'm done with the portal. Now they're living in their head. And mm-hmm. honestly, they think they're engaging the future, but they're they're really not. They're, we're, we're living from our heads and we're trying to rationalize and, and use our own logic and do all of this stuff. But most of it has no fruit, like very little, very little fruit. And, and if we do have fruit, it's very predictable. It's like one plus one equals two. But in the kingdom, one plus one equals a million. Mm. Mm. cross over it's like you do very little and a lot gets accomplished because of the efficiency and the glory right yeah 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 wow um can you recount any uh, encounter or story that really gripped you over the last 15 years well yeah i'll just go back to like um 2016 so we hosted a three-day conference with um with uh, bobby connor and patricia king and leif hetland and charlie champ and it was supposed to be three days. But we felt the acceleration. We felt the wave before we even started. I, we felt the portal opening. And we just knew. We just knew that there was an invitation. Again, bro, man, I can feel the presence on this. But you get these moments, man, where you just feel the invitation from the Lord. And you just know that you can you can catch, you can catch the wave if you want to. Hey, here's the wave. And the Lord's like, you can catch this one or you can let it. You can let it pass you by, you know, and we felt that. And we were like, we're going to ride it. Like we, mm-hmm. we started preparing. We started getting our whole team um, um, ready, which expectation and preparation. Those are two major keys to preparing mm-hmm. for and stewarding a move of God. We began preparing and we were supposed to do a three day conference. And it turned into seven weeks of going almost every night. We would take Monday nights off. Wow. And 
Um, and what happened was from the outside, it looked like externally, it looked like these guys are just doing a lot of meetings, but dude, I transformed, like I was transformed. And even though I say seven weeks, we actually went two years of, of, of doing meetings every weekend. Um, and it, it wasn't just meetings. There was, there is a, there is a, a supernatural fruitfulness and efficiency. It's uh, the only way I can describe it is like Obed Edom, right? Mm -hmm. He, he let God move into his house. And when he did, um, his wife and daughters began having children every two weeks. That's what Jewish um, uh, scholars uh, uh, tell us that when Obed Edom was blessed, we all read that we mm. know like crazy blessed because there was so many rumors going out that David is like, okay, I changed my mind. I want God living in my city. Mm. David was freaked out. Right. Because of uh, Uzzah, is that his name? That, that, that got, yeah, yeah, they died. Yeah. Yeah. Because he touched the, touched the thing. He touched the glory, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. but Obed Edom let, like in day, I don't think he had much of a choice. Like David, like knocked on his door and like, Hey, so um, I got God with me and um, he's going to live in your house, <laughs> you know? And he let him come in and, uh, and he was blessed. But scholars tell us that every two weeks, his, his wife and daughters were having, were having children and not just children, but like, we're talking like multiple, multiple children. So we see accelerated fruitfulness. Wow. And I'm telling you, if you look at church history, whenever you see what I'll just refer to as a revival dynamic, whenever you see a people cross over and they lay down their agenda and they pick up the agenda of heaven, you will see supernatural multiplication in every mm. way possible. You will see it like if you've got kids and they're like they're little musicians and they're they get to be on the worship team in that glory atmosphere, they will their talent, their gift, it will it will it will go crazy in that atmosphere. If you've got little, if you've got evangelists in your church and they've always wanted to get people saved in that in that glory in that place, they are going to just start seeing tons of people get saved. Anybody with any sort of little prophetic kind of leaning, their mm. prophetic anointing is going to just go through the roof. They're going to get so radically sharp, and so um, that's what we saw in 2016. That's what we saw in the 90s. That's what we saw uh, whenever we we saw a move of God in Ireland. A revival broke out in Ireland. It became known as Fireland. It was a almost like a worship revival where mm. um, where the, these drummers would would just take off and the and the meeting would get high. This is in Northern Ireland um, uh, uh, in Ballyclare, you, and you had what was called the Drummers of Ballyclare, and this was an extension of meetings that would go night after night after night in a time when there was a lot of tension um, in Northern Ireland and the troubles there. Uh, that's the other thing. Sorry, I'm just talking. I'm just. We're good. You're good, man. Go for it. Whenever you see chaos and calamity, whenever you see radical adversity in a nation, you always see the atmosphere for 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 revival. You always see that. You always see a, a place of because the Lord loves to show up in the chaos. So, even in Indo and in Indonesia back in the early 2000s, when revival broke out there, is in the context of the Muslim persecution against the church. Um, you know. Uh, we were in Australia. Revival broke out there. Uh, our family moved there for a year in Australia. Um, so, yes, so we've seen a lot of moves of God, and we've seen that correlation. When God moves in, when, we're, when we are being like, okay, everything else is on hold. Why? Because God is here. This is really terrifying. He's here. Mm -hmm. you, see that, you see that place of, of blessing begin to break out. Mm. 
Man, um, so what are your thoughts on when so many people come, they encounter God, like I got saved in a church that was like that, like revival every weekend. It was crazy. It did accelerate me. It shifted my whole life, like radically, like really radically, so many stories. But what do you think of, they come to God, people come to God, uh, but what are your thoughts on discipleship? What happens to uh, the majority? You know, yeah, there's going to be some people that will grab it and run, uh, but what do you think of that and the reformation that then should spill out into the nation? You know, what are your thoughts on some of that? Okay, so that's an awesome question. That's where we can kind of geek out a little bit. So to the church, it has been given the office of the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and the evangelist. So when mm-hmm. when when revival shifts into awakening, which is the difference between a two to five year move versus a 30 year move, mm-hmm. um, what you see is the difference between that is is one finger in operation, one token office or gifting in operation effectively mm-hmm. over, or over a two to five year moment versus all five offices being employed together to host something in a region or, in, or a nation. When you've, got, when you've got five offices partnering together, what you have is you've got accountability. You've got something that can begin to, that can, that, that can begin to reform supernaturally. Because uh, I don't believe in reformation outside of the presence, because I, I think that what that becomes is cultural manipulation that involves using our own logic with good intention to try to do something that God has in his heart. But we're keeping him out of the equation because we want we want to keep it clean or respectable according to our own kind of definition. So I uh, I'm not about that. I believe that we shouldn't seek reformation. We should seek revival and true revival within the context of where it's accountable will lead to reformation. In fact, you know, reformation historically um, usually uh, you know, for the church has to do with, you know, theological reformation. You know, you see the reformers and it has to do with the church. So when you when you hear the word in the past in church history used for reformation, it it involves the internal workings and structure to bring the government of the church back in, into alignment. It doesn't involve making Starbucks a Christian company. When you look at um, uh, uh, cultural renewal, that that's what I call it, cultural renewal. It's the gardeners of God going out into the earth and transforming um, the wilderness back into Eden. That what, what you see there is you see an active presence dynamic within church history where the people of God are loving God. They're loving people. They're hosting the presence. And then what you begin to see is you see that shalom dynamic, which is the restoration of everything, begin to be created within a region accidentally. Mm. So you 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 look at like what what happened in Wales with in and um, and, and and within church history the transformation of cities and nations happens accidentally not strategically it's people loving God and loving each other and the reformation occurs so I think you know another example is if we're going to seek happiness we're probably going to find a certain level of frustration and loneliness but if we will seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. All these other things are added unto us. Mm. So that's where if you've heard Charlie Champ or Jeremy Nelson or myself lately, uh, we're really, we're real. This is a real hot button for us. If you listen to the podcast that I've done recently with Charlie or with Jeremy, um, this is a real hot button for us. And the reason why is because there is a message right now where we don't need revival. We need reformation. 
Um, but the problem with that is there is a temptation to try to finish something in the flesh that God has began in the spirit. Mm. And, um, and I also, I also, I could be wrong, but I think that young people, um, want God. They, <laughs> they want the realms of the kingdom. I think young people, like you say, Hey, let's, let's get together at my house and like, and like talk about how we're going to Christianize everything. Like, I don't know. But hey, just come to my house and let's just have a night of just enjoying the presence of the Lord, just organic worship, and we're just going to seek after God. I could probably pack my, my house out, you know, mm-hmm. pack, pack the place out. And so, um, so yeah, we've uh, now the reason why I bring all that up is because again, if you can have a move of God without government, but it won't be it won't be sustained, you know. And what you'll have is the move, the the fruit of the move will take on the the token gifting or office of that person so you know for example and it now listen i am i know that nobody listening to me knows who i am right now um your audience you know you're in new zealand you got all these awesome new zealanders and so the problem with that is that like i could come across as like overly opinionated or or dishonoring because of the level of of honesty that i'm working in but a, a core value for myself is that one of the highest forms of honor is honesty and mm-hmm. so I have, I have nothing in my heart, but, but honor and love and appreciation for just all the generals and moves of God that have prepared us for this time. And I just wanted to say that just as a, it'll go into the subconscious and hopefully help me out a little bit. Cause I don't want people to think that I'm just this opinionated proud. Well, but, the majority of our crew will not think like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Saying, so. The reason why I wanted to say that here is because like re- first really quick is, because, for example, you take a move of God like the Brownsville revival. Hmm. If you remember, like the whole Brownsville Pensacola, and it was awesome. In fact, I was just listening to worship with my children from that revival yesterday with Lindell Cooley, and we went yeah. there to experience that. Okay, the office, the office employed in that revival was Steve Hill and the office yeah. of of the evangelist. So the fruit, the the outflow of that was one of massive conversions, unprecedented conversions within mm. that time and place. Yep. They were even picked up by Rolling Stone and Steve Hill was on the cover of Rolling Stone. Mm. And they actually, they, you know, they made fun of a lot of things, but you could tell that they were deeply impacted by that revival. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, but what's sad about it is, is that you only had the employment of one office and that was the evangelist. Mm. And you can look through moves of God where you see that, where you see one particular office that's employed, but because the other offices, because there wasn't the government, the re- I would say it's the relational structure. It's the honoring of the offices. And it doesn't have to be the honoring of people. It has mm. to be honoring and the accountability that exists within the offices. of Because you have many moves of God that didn't have yep. an evangelistic office that was honored. So because mm. of that, um, you didn't have any salvations and then that immediately puts an expiration date on it. Yeah. You know, it, um, so that's where I feel like, you know, when you look at the, the places that are still around, it's because of the honor, uh, towards Mm. when you look at Bethel and you look at the transformation they've had in their own city and nation and the nations, the influence they have in the nations, it's Mm. because they, they are very vocal and outspoken about the honor of the five offices. Mm. And, um, when you look at even Toronto, they're still going after it in Toronto. When you look at Cheon, the, the people that are still around, that are still moving in the fire, 
it's because they did it biblically. Um, they went after it with saying that we're going to honor the prophets. This is going to be difficult because they're going to be saying things we don't want to hear. It, uh, it's going to be a love test. We're going to honor the evangelist. And that's going to be difficult because they're going to be like, we've got to get out of here. We've got to get people saved. We're going to honor the pastors. And that's going to be difficult because they're going to be like, we are wide, but we are shallow. And we need to love people. We need to disciple people. We need to, we need to know each other. Um, we need to honor the teacher, which says you've got a lot of pro, uh, uh, presence here, but your theology is crap. And you're mm-hmm. saying things that just don't have any mathematical sense and this that this 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 skeleton will not be healthy for our generation as we go forward and we're going to honor the apostles so that we've got a blueprint you know where these offices i think it takes an apostle to honor the fivefold Mm. and so that's where i said geek out a little bit because no man this is this is so good uh i want to get your thoughts on um house churches on well i don't even want to use that term because obviously you know, like, okay, so let's look at a normal church, and I hope now you don't mind me going there, like we're going there. A normal uh, church. <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll explain that, but I, I'm giving a disclaimer too now to you and whoever might hear, like, um, I just want to ask some questions of how we do things, you know. Yeah. Uh, you've been part of businesses. If you run a business and you don't check, what is the business uh, bringing forth the objective it was set out to bring? And that kind of accountability, you know, of, hey, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Um, so that kind of question, I don't think churches ask that question enough, right? Or the performance is, uh, you know, or the objective is narrowed down to just this personal expression instead of a kingdom uh, collective understanding. And I know you get what I'm saying. So here's my question. Most churches, you will see only 10, 20 people can, carrying the load, pulling the weight, you know, and then maybe 60 to 80, and I'm generalizing here, 60 to 80% happy to come along and a portion of that that are like, yeah, I'm I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. And then there's some that's just like, I'm just riding, that's it. Like, if this thing blows out, I'm out. Like, I'm, you know? So do you think that that is actually an effective model? Is that, you know, because when you see Jesus not building a, a one-stop shop, you know, and he's like, go, and he takes these 12 men who carry everything you're saying, and they're just... Like, what are your thoughts on all of this? I'd love to hear them. Okay, yeah. So if you're if you're watching this or you're listening to this, and this is where I'll I'll talk to listeners, which up to this point I've been talking to you, Joseph, but because um, I think this I hope this is helpful. But you got people that are not in any sort of church leadership that are either um, done with the church or they're trying to attend a church, and there's just a great level of frustration. So if that's you, um, I get it. I totally get it. Right. Um, and there's frustration because you're in a church where there's awesome teaching, but there's no evangelism, right? Nobody's getting saved. You're not doing any sort of outreaches in your, in your city. You're just equipping <laughs> it, And they say, I'm a part of a, 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 an equipping church. And that means that your pastor isn't really a pastor. He's a teacher. And, but he's the pastor, he's the guy. Uh, so what do you do? Well, you have to pray and obey because if God has called you there to that place, then you need to just rejoice and just enjoy the revelation, enjoy the equipping, and be accountable for your own uh, frustration. Keep your soul under control and to, to pastor your soul well. Because um, uh, what we don't get to do is we don't get to attend an equipping church and then try to recreate it into our image. or our. We can't, because that's when you get into Christian witchcraft. It's like, I am, like I'm called to be a prophet. I'm so prophetic. 
Like I prophesied over one of our city council people at Starbucks and I read their mail and they were weeping. Like I'm so prophetic. I, I, my desire is to see the prophetic in every church, but my church is not prophetic. All my pastor wants to do is preach every single Sunday, preach, 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 preach. And so I'm at this church to make it prophetic and I'm going to bring a prophetic culture. Like, okay. So what you're doing is you're taking your gifting and your desire and you're about to force it onto the culture of your, of your church. And to the degree that you try to force that culture, you're going to find yourself subconsciously manipulating the church culture, which is actually the sin of witchcraft. So the primary form of witchcraft that we see coming against the church right now is internal and not external. And that you've got people that are operating in rebellion, which is essentially unaccountable frustration where they are trying to either change their pastor's values or to change the DNA of a church. I don't know if you've ever tried to change the DNA of someone, but you can't do it. Their DNA is fixed. Mm. And, um, and so you, so if you're not in church leadership, you are not empowered to change the DNA of your church. Mm. And, um, and that's where you need to pray and obey because, um, you're better off leaving. You either got to dive in and serve the DNA or you need mm. to get out because mm. to the degree that you're frustrated, you're going to find yourself saying things to people in the church. You're going to find yourself being subversive against leadership. And that's, and that's a sin and that's, and that's wrong. And so um, I'm not shaming you, but if, if you've been doing that, bro, you gotta, you gotta repent because man, pastors are getting word cursed by, mm. by people in their own church and, and people yep. are, are being duped into participating with witchcraft and, they, and, and most of them don't realize it. Some of them do realize it. You know, I, there's a, per, a, a lady that, um, that has come to our church in the past and she is a she she is a christian witch and she is, and she knows it and she's wow partnering with ministries on purpose because once her money flows into the ministry there's a a tether or a tie that's created and then she uses that financial tie in order to curse those institutions my gosh i don't know if i answered your question or not but uh, got no, well, i mean this is a deep conversation, right? Um, you know, uh, because there is a lot of stuff. I believe that there is a shaking happening all over the world for people to check everything from leadership to the newest person. You know, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Does this line up? Is this what God wants? I, I believe that's happening whether people like it or not, you know. Uh, but I have a question for you in terms of um, house churches and, and these these going from home to home and building real community, real family and you know, I had a man on uh, who's a good friend of mine who's been instrumental in maybe the birthing of around 10 million house churches around the world. He's in the 60s. Uh, he's a theologian. He loves the Lord. And um, that's kind of, uh, you know, I guess you'd say it says DNA. And so I just kind of want to know your thoughts on on that, on real kingdom expansion, not just from a 20%, 30% people who get it, who will die, but actually a... Um, you know, I guess a, a actual filtering of true disciples. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And um, yeah, man, I am, yeah. I love it, man. And Bob Jones once had a vision uh, where, in the vision, he saw these barns that were overflowing, <laughs> and mm. and the barns were schools, church buildings, people's homes. It was like anything that was like the ownership of a believer became like a barn, mm. and, and and it was because of the harvest that was coming in. There's no church building that could contain it. It's like. It's like everybody's homes became churches and everybody's in all the schools became churches. And 
and all the churches became churches. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I, I absolutely love it. And, um, you know, uh, I think the biggest thing that we have to protect our hearts on is that we don't judge, um, is that we don't make a blanket judgment because of the size of something. Cause I know some people that will judge something because it's 20 people and say mm. it's not revival cause it's not 2000 people. I know other people that'll say it's not revival cause it is 2000 people and God doesn't work in mega churches. And so like, right. if you think that mega churches aren't part of God's heart for reformation for the future, you're wrong. And if you don't think that house churches are a part of what God's going to be doing, you're wrong. God's going to use whatever he wants to use. And, and he's going to use the big and he's going to use the small and he's going to use the poor. And he's going to use the rich. He's going to use um, the wise and he's going to use the foolish. And, and, um, and, and that's, you know what I'm saying? And so we've got to be so open hearted and we've got to be so open minded because mm-hmm. if there's something that could offend you, God's going to figure out how to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and offense is one of those things where um every move of god is going to have offense in it like it's mm. always going to offend our flesh mm-hmm. reveal our heart and jesus was so offensive he was such an offense everything about his whole thing is sure. the fact that he was born in a barn the fact he was born uh to a virgin um mm. everything about the ministry of jesus is is offensive to the degree where they're like this guy can't even live any like we've got to take this guy out this guy is such he's such a disgrace to our religion Mm. And so, um, so if you want to be a part of, of what God's doing on the earth, uh, prepare to be offended, figure out your offense strategy. Now, God, <laughs> he's always offending me. And, yeah. um, and I just, man, I just, I just love it. I never want to be intentionally offensive just to be offensive. Um, but I know that maybe sometimes God uses me to offend people, you know? Yeah. So me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I mean, I bring up this conversation because um, with a group of people here in Auckland, I am walking this journey out, me and my wife, and uh, we've been meeting in a house and awesome. in a small group of about 20. It's been awesome, but awesome. I can feel God releasing something now. And we are um, just trying to find that synergy, like you're saying, you know, of a, a bigger meeting that we're doing once a month, which is more like a party of family get together, eating, sharing testimonies and you know, and um, I'm just walking this path of, of like what you're saying. How does this work? Because it can't be one or the other. There has to be a synergy. And um, it's a real interesting walk. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, one of the things I would just, I would challenge you on in that is that everything healthy grows. Mm. So, uh, uh, so as parents, we, we prepare our five-year-olds for, to see them mature so that we're always getting them ready for when they're going to be six and seven and eight. Yep. So you, uh, so be looking at your current culture right now and be mm. thinking about what does this look matured by five years? Yeah. Uh, and, and then start to get a vision of that now. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm 38. I'm trying to think about what am I going to be like when I'm 58 um, and 68, because that's affecting the, the choices that I'm making right now. So I want to yeah. live my life right now with, with, with 58 and 68 in mind. Um, and that's going to, that's going to allow me to have a lot of wisdom now. And so the challenge for a, for a vibrant home group or not home group, a house church is that you're going to grow and that the values that you have now, um, are going to change. Um, and because they're going to have to change because the government that you needed when you were five years old versus the government that you need when you're 25 changes. And yet yeah. you, 
go honor where you're at right now. And you always want to have that raw and unscripted, um, that organic fill. So the question is going to be, how can you grow larger by getting smaller? How can you always, how can you, how can you protect those values? And then also, how do you make sure that your values to today don't become your defeater beliefs tomorrow? So yeah. you're, you're giving yourself permission to grow and to grow out of concepts and ways of thinking, knowing that the government that you have right now is right for where you're at, but knowing that, um, that your values are going to have to change. And then also as a community, knowing what things are so important to you that you're not willing for them to change. The yeah. You're willing to fight for and the things that you're willing to die for so that you can grow and mature, but that, but that you don't sell out. And I think that that's where, um, I think that that's where we need to do a better job in our cultures talking about the non-negotiables, those yeah. values, those things that are truly in our DNA that no matter how small or how big we get, our DNA won't change. So figuring out, taking the time and collectively working through that, wrestling through that, because it's not about a corporate identity. It's, yep. like, it's not about having some cool banners on your wall or, or some sort of cool mission statement on a, on a flyer. Like, like it's not about that. It's that having it so clear to find that, that when you, if your community gets cut, you mm. bleed the values of your, so that everybody knows this is why I'm here. This yeah. is why I'm why I'm at work. This is why in in our church you don't have twenty um, percent of the people or ten percent of the people doing eighty percent of the work, ninety percent of the work. Mm. Uh, this is why we all of our hands are to the plow because mm. we know our we know who we are and this matters to us. And so we are going to go all in to see God glorified through our community. Bro, I love what you're saying. And I just had this idea. I would love to host a conversation with you and my friend at the same time because uh, I think that you could handle that, you know, and he can handle that. Uh, it's really interesting when you have a conversation that might have some different views, how many people can't handle that, you know, and I'd, I'll put that out after we finish here. But I would love to host yeah. that. That conversation would be so important, especially in this time where some people are just like, well, I'm done with church. I'm done with God. I'm out, or this is the only way, this is the right way. Um, and, you know, there's truth, or well, let me say it this way, there's facts on both sides of the fence, but I guess truth is where God meets this equation, where love meets this equation and turns into truth. And it would be amazing to have that conversation, you know? I would love that. Yeah, yeah, I would love that, man. And also just an opportunity for us to build our relationship and um, uh, kind of get to know you and, and the people that you're doing life with. Um, and then also, I think that um, I heard this recently from um, – Ah, uh, gosh, I think it was, do you know, Brett Weinstein? Is that his name? Do you know him? He's a biologist. No, I haven't heard that name. You got, anyways, uh, I heard, I think it was him that was talking about um, uh, that anytime we get together and we have disagreement or uh, different perspectives and we can go after it, um, we're never going to find like full agreement entire. Mm. Yep. Through our conversation and dialogue, if there's a moment that we do find agreement where we didn't yeah. have it because of our fierce conversation. Whenever you get a moment like that, you get an upgrade and both parties upgrade in that moment. And, um, yeah. and that's what the church has been afraid of historically. Yeah. I don't agree with what they say about this. I don't yeah. agree. With this. So then we build our walls and we get out our, our firearms and we've, and I got to protect the church, right? I yeah, got to, yeah. I got to protect, I got to protect. 
and we protect by assassinating other ministries or ministers. Mm. That's, that's what we mm. call protection. Uh, versus, I don't have to be intimidated by your beliefs, mm. and your beliefs are not going to kill the bride of Christ. You're not mm. that big. No, mm. <laughs> uh, the the bride is has a groom. So um, if we can yeah. if we can have an honest, honorable conversation. Let's go after it. And maybe there'll be something that we can come into agreement on that we didn't have agreement before and we level up. And I think that that's what we, that's, that's what, that's what I need. I think that's what the church needs. And so, and, and really, man, you can't do that on Sunday morning. You can't do that on Wednesday night. Yeah. Uh, that's why we need a new platform. And that's where I think podcasts are the new platform where there can be um, unity, where there hasn't been unity before and there can be agreement. Mm-hmm. It has an agreement and there can be upgrades that couldn't be possible in, in a traditional church forum. I love it. Um, I had a conversation on the end times and I got two. like I got a, there was a dispensationalist view and then there was like a preterist view and we just oh, yeah. talked it out and it was uh, awesome. I got, you know, I got some people hating me for doing that, um, but it was such a good conversation. And so what you're saying, man, I, I, I think it's very needed. I love it. And you know, uh, love, I always say this, love is not a need, it's a choice. And at some point, two humans will have to choose each other. The body has to choose each other. And, and um, it, I don't think we've, allowed, you know, like unity to me can only come when I know I have the freedom not to choose you, but yet I choose you, you know, unity. It's not, um, I don't have to, I'm not bound to you, but I'm choosing you. And uh, I think that uh, that starts to facilitate such a breeding ground for everything God wants to do, despite disagreement or, you know, so that's good. I love, I love what you're saying, man. So, well, Joseph, I appreciate you and your heart um, uh, for the, you know, for the people of God and, and, and um, for sons and daughters that don't even know their sons and daughters yet. And, you know, um, well, you and I have had an opportunity to to talk a little bit off the air and there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of, similar values um that resonate even if we don't have language for it yet and mm-hmm. so i appreciate what you're doing and um in any way that i can serve you and and these dreams and desires of your heart in your in your beautiful country you know uh let me know and um yeah and i, I would look forward to uh future conversations with you uh, and your buddies man Thank you so much for being here, bro. Like we've gone maybe a hundred minutes. That's over an hour and a half and that went quick. Um, So guys, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I know there are going to be many more and this might be a different style here happening where it's not just uh, a normal interview, but there's discussion here and um, that might be what's happening here. So Darren, I just want to honor you again for carrying uh, the unique anointing. I know I heard Patricia King say that to you, but it is unique um, especially because you came up through the church. And um, I just want to honor you for what you're doing and for the next generation that you're about to father. Uh, I just honor you, bro. And I'm so thankful for this connection. And I look forward to more chats. Awesome. And hey, next time um, you'll talk more and all and all. <laughs> no, man, that was, that was awesome. So guys, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, have a great day, great morning, great evening, wherever you are. Uh, For now, Darren, you can stay with me just for a couple of minutes. But everyone else, we're going to say goodbye. Love you guys. Talk soon. 
podcasts are definitely trending right now. There are so many brand new podcasts that are hitting the market. And I think that iTunes is kind of overwhelmed. And one of the ways that iTunes aggregates what's hip and relevant from the rest of the noise that's hitting the web is through ratings and reviews. A bunch of you have already taken the time to leave a rating and a review of this podcast. And I just wanted to say thanks. You guys are incredible and you're so supportive and I love you. And if you haven't had a chance to take that minute or two to leave a review, if you do that, that'd be incredible. And I've created a shortcut to get you there. It's thedarrenshow.com. That's thedarrenshow.com. You can give it one star and that means that you think it's kind of lame. Or you can give it five stars and that means that you think this thing be dope, be tight, be off the chain. So if you would take the minute or two to leave a review, that would be mighty fine of you. Again, it's thedarrenshow.com. Thanks, guys.